Federation so obsessed with the Maquis? We've never harmed you. And yet we're constantly arrested and charged with terrorism. Starships chase us through the Badlands, and our supporters are harassed and ridiculed. Why? Because we've left the Federation, and that's the one thing you can't accept. Nobody leaves Paradise. Everyone should want to be in the Federation. Hell, you even want the Cardassians to join. You're only sending them replicators because one day they can take their rightful place on the Federation Council. You know, in some ways, you're even worse than the Borg. At least they tell you about their plans for assimilation. You're more insidious. You assimilate people. And they don't even know it. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek. To seek out new guests and new opinions. To boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 10 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and in this episode, we're looking at Star Trek's utopia, or perhaps I should say the Federations. Is it something to strive for, or does it have a dark underbelly? Now, to discuss this with me is actor and would-be video game designer, <laughs> Fred Manasso. Hi, Fred. Hi. But Fred, before mm -hmm. we go any further, people have never heard your voice on any of our podcasts before. Yeah. You're a, a rookie, a newbie. I am. So you've got to take the quiz every guest has to date so that people out there know who they're dealing with. They're dealing with someone from my personal life. We're personal <laughs> friends. But uh, you are a Trekkie. Yeah. And a Warzy and a card-carrying geek. But how did you first intersect with Star Trek? Why is it important to you? What's your connection to the show? Um... My mom, oddly enough, was a big fan of Star Trek. Because you get a lot of stories about people and their dads, but <clears throat> yeah, my dad, mom. my dad is Star Wars, and that's where I got Star Wars from. And my mom was a big fan of TNG, so TNG was on, and that was what was playing in the living room every night. And has <laughs> it stayed an important part of your geek watching? Um, or? it hasn't it kind of left when i was in trying to be a cool kid <laughs> quote unquote. congrats on that yeah <laughs> that failed miserably uh, <laughs> but yeah like I, I i had a preference for star wars i was like oh yeah it's action and it's like people aren't just sitting around talking about their problems they're actually killing people about them yeah, we once did a uh, radio show <laughs> yeah. where we debated the Star merits Wars of each. Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for a while, Star Wars was cooler than Star Trek. I can't believe yeah, I yeah. said that. That's okay. It's more mainstream, let's it, say. Yeah. Um, more acceptable. Yeah. To like. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now with the new ones. But anyways, um, yeah, and. Uh, you know, Star Trek was just that thing that I kind of grew up with and I didn't really appreciate until I was an adult, let's say, and I could really watch it and and catch the subtleties and nuance of, of what this show about the possible future 
of humankind. Was. Okay, well, uh, what are... This is just a very simple questions. You know, actor studio kind of style. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite show or version of Star Trek? Uh, TNG. Still? Yeah, still. What's your favorite character from that show or any show? Uh, I like Data. Um, you seemed ashamed of that. Uh, yeah, he's kind of a. Uh, I like I like the idea of Data, not necessarily the character, but like the idea of of this Pinocchio like character that's trying to be human, that's trying to learn how to be flawed, mm. and, and accepting that like his flaw is that he's flawless, and that's I don't know. I like that idea, and I like. Um, I don't know. There's a, there's one scene that makes me really like the the Picard Data relationship where uh, Data takes the helm of the Enterprise and and fails and then he he says, oh, I must be malfunctioning. I'm just gonna retreat to my quarters and never do anything ever again because I might fail. And then Picard tells him that you know um, failing is just a part of life. Sometimes you can do everything right and still fail. That's just how life goes. And I really like that kind of learning moment that sometimes life just is unfair and it doesn't go your way. <clears throat> and finally, what's your favorite alien species? I like the Ferengi. Uh-huh. Really? <laughs> there are no wrong answers. Yeah, I like the Ferengi. I like their, you know, they're, I don't know, they're interesting Fair they're enough. not evil, they're not the bad guys, they're just annoying. And they'll be part of this conversation, Yeah, I think, because they're a contrast to Federation Absolutely. values. Uh, so, okay, this is who you are, a TNG kid. Yeah. <laughs> Might be true to say that the Star Trek utopia is really most prevalent in Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, because in TOS... It's it, still kind of yeah, a rocky start. There's still the... frontier kind yeah. of stuff. Earth's great, everywhere <laughs> else is crap. I feel like... In in a uh, meta Star Trek, like it's still the, the the ideas of Star Trek are still kind of being created. Like, yeah. what's this universe really about? And as a product about? of the '60s, it's still kind of sexist. Yeah, I mean, so it's got, but it's still it's still breaking some of those barriers, like the sexism and the racism. It's still like very on the edge for its. its Period. When you go later, and DS9, of course, is a, an examination of that utopia, yeah. trying to break it down. Ronald Moore was one of the major engines of that show. Yeah. Has been a vocal opponent of the Star Trek utopia, the, the conflictless mm -hmm. Star I think, Trek. I, I think this is where um, that, we, this is, we differ on this. This is subject. where we're gonna. This is where the the, because, the debate exists. Because I feel like you're a DS9 kind of totally. guy, and I'm a TNG. So I love the gray zones yeah, of DS9. Yeah. And Voyager to me is a failed <clears throat> D Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, where they still try to create that conflict by by keeping the Maquis very much in it, mm -hmm. by removing the Federation from yeah. the show. But a failure because I don't think they go through with the consequences mm -hmm. of what that would mean. And I think uh, Enterprise is kind of like the... Uh, it's a precursor. It's, so a precur it's... it's still kind of stuck in the old Earth yeah. ideas. Yeah, Earth going is kind forward. of dystopian yeah. still. And yeah, still Earth, to... Earth is still kind of like a, an enemy to this Federation yeah. idea. We're not too resistant. far from uh, First Contact. Yeah. Where it was just like post-war yeah. Earth trying to just grow out of its... <laughs> Get its stuff together. Yeah, and then the Vulcans don't trust us. That's basically yeah. the plot line, uh, the premise for Enterprise. And we steal a ship. And... <laughs> yeah! 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 <laughs> just, you know. It's Doctor Who this ship. Okay, <laughs> when I say that Next Gen probably has the most utopian flavor to it, 
uh, it seems like all of Earth's problems have been fixed. And, yeah. And it's a kind of a touchy-feely, it's like the late 80s touchy-feely, we've got a counselor on board. <laughs> Every every problem is solved by talking it out. Your families are on the ship with you. Yeah. It's you know, and there's there's this quote that we pulled uh, preparing for this from the episode The Neutral Zone, which is mm-hmm. like the um, first season finale where they reintroduce the Romulans, and it's Picard talking to people they found frozen, people from our time, yeah. more or less, found frozen in a satellite or in a, you know like a. A primitive spacecraft and he says this a lot has changed in the past 300 years people are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things we have eliminated hunger want the need for possessions we've grown out of our infancy so basically we're talking about and we've, we've talked about this on the show before uh, with uh, dr g we talked about the philosophy of star trek mm-hmm. we're not going to retread uh, all those elements we we've picked different ones uh, but we were we did talk a bit about the post scarcity mm-hmm. utopia where yeah. there is no need everything's immediate immediacy instantaneity yeah. or <laughs> yeah you want food there's a replicator you want you anything want, you want to move around there's a transporter yeah. and the ships go faster than light uh, there, your entertainment is complex and immediate. The holodeck. The holo- yeah. Uh, like any can, information. You can create your own yeah. a- entertainment with the holodeck. You can create your own program and, and live whatever fantasy you right. want. You've got a vocal Google computer. Yeah. Ask a question and you get immediate answers or immediate results. Yeah. Immediate healthcare. Oh, the healthcare is the best. I think <laughs> if I were to... You know, when people ask me what would you most like from the Star Trek universe to be real... It's not space travel. It's no. Not, no, no, it's it's that non-invasive healthcare. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like melting yeah. cancer out of you with a little bobble <laughs> without even going into you. No needles, no nothing. There's Just, very you know. little surgery. You, you you do see it. Well, there is like for for bike stuff. I yeah, guess. changing more well. spine around her. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a shrapnel in your spine, right. you kind of need to go in and get it out. But I bet it's like <laughs> I bet that surgery has like. Did he transport the stuff out? Probably. There's very little getting your hands yeah. dirty. That time Picard got a, an artificial heart. Yeah. Of course, that requires surgery. <laughs> but most of the time, you just sit on that bed and they know exactly what's wrong with you, which is not the case now. Yeah. You might have misdiagnosis or still. Those are the things that <laughs> that <laughs> I would really, really want because I, you know, healthcare. Yeah. It's not a thing I I look forward to. <laughs> In my advancing uh, years. Me neither. Yeah, um, but even understanding between peoples, the, the universal translator. So when you clean energy, everything you might need is there. there. Yeah. There's no there's no reason to work. And I think I and think, make money or everything is basically accessible. Without without that basic starting point, the idea of going that far into space is impossible. If if every time you need to uh, get more food, you need to go back to Earth and restock, then you can never find the new frontier yeah. of space, right? So I think it's an important thing to accept for the show to work. They're, they're never going to run out of anything. And <clears throat> also, to just to give the, the characters... I mean, there's something about the higher ideals of Star mm-hmm. Trek, which means if we don't work for... We don't work for a living. We work for the advancement right. of... That's the idea, right? That it's Travel like, and science. And, and it's either yeah. you're, you're contributing to your society or you're, it's the betterment, betterment of ourselves. Yes. Uh, which is the first, perhaps, the first um, gray lining in the silver cloud. 
<laughs> the first cloud in a blue sky um, that I'm going to bring here to, like, to, to challenge that utopia is the idea that what if you chose betterment, not of, of humanity, but your own improvement? Is there something selfish that can grow out of that? And uh, and I'm thinking here that all the, we're always watching Starfleet personnel, mm-hmm. heroes. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are weaker than others. I mean, across the show, we've seen some with flaws. But they've essentially chosen a life of service. It's yeah. a military-ish service. And they, they don't get money out of it, but they get the advancement of... Mm-hmm. But we're watching heroes. What about everyone else on Earth? And I'm thinking, per, like, for example, Bashir's dad. Okay, Bashir's dad, we meet him once. Yeah. And we find out some secrets about Bashir. But his father is rather embarrassing in the Federation Utopia because he's, like many of us, going from job to job, from project to yeah. project, from ambition to ambition. You know, he's always got a different passion. I think we can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we both the, have. The actor of... slash would-be game programmer <laughs> can totally relate to that. <laughs> and, you know, we've tried different things yeah. and we've either in study or in work. Yeah. But we follow our passions. I think that's one of the things that, that bonds us. We follow our passions. But if you follow your passions in the Star Trek Utopia, perhaps, you know, you do a little bit of landscaping here, a little bit of architecture there, whatever he, his dad used mm-hmm. to do. You know, run a business, do it, do this, do that. And you're not accomplishing uh, anything for humanity, strictly speaking. Although, I'd say anything you do adds to the whole. Yeah. But uh, is, is there a... Like, we always see the, like, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And even a guy like Barkley is yeah. part of the best of the best. Yeah. He's got personal <laughs> problems. He's neurotic. But... He, doesn't, he doesn't like the immediacy of everything. He doesn't <laughs> like the transporter or the yeah. replicator. But, you know. He's got problems. He's got uh, fears <laughs> and quirks. But still he's up still, there doing he's something. still an engineer on the flagship of, the, of, the, yep. of Starfleet, you know. So he's still one of the best of the best. Well, imagine the rest of us, the normal people. I think ordinary see, folks. I think you see the worst of the worst too in TNG. Like okay. I don't remember the character's name, but the guy who wanted to uh, take data and replicate them, and basically. But he's yeah. still the best of the best. He's still the best of the best, but his motives aren't necessarily the best of the best. Yeah, that's one of the things I think. That... And he's very selfish in his endeavors. Yeah, and the he's... utopia falls apart at the personal level. At, yeah, at, you know, at the individual level. Yeah, because um, if we're exploring humanity through the show, then we must see. Flaws. Well, humanity is flawed. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I guess the utopia kind of falls apart on that level, but it's still it's still a good thing that even the selfish people can better themselves. You know, it's it's still it's still betterment, and so whatever that guy's that, doing is still good for the whole of humanity. Are we thinking that people in the Star Trek universe absolutely do not sit on their porch and do nothing all day, knowing that they're um, <clears throat> Well, some people probably do. <laughs> I mean, no, we never see them. I think Worf's dad kind of falls in that. Okay, he's retired. He's just you know sitting there not doing much, well, he's enjoying retired. the good old life. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure some people just sit there and play video games. <laughs> <laughs> play video games, not on the Enterprise because everybody's pretty much got a job to do or a purpose. You've got or, duties. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. yeah, in real life, you could spend your time in the holodeck, and it's probably holodeck addiction. Yeah. Like anything else. Probably. You can probably... probably a counselor to deal, help you deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> because I wonder at what point... I mean, obviously, there there are things that are not necessarily explained. Mm-hmm. But the, there is talk of credits. 
sometimes. Yeah. And you've got to be able to spend your money outside the Federation. You know, it, it well, happens. To, yeah, to, to like trade on non-Federation worlds yeah. and whatnot. There's, there's a Latin economy yeah. on these That's Space very, Yeah. So you can convert your... You've got a... You get a paycheck, but you don't need it. Yeah, I think that's the point. But that's that's something that I never really understood. Like the the currency in <laughs> Star Trek, yeah, it's, that's it's not clear. That's it's not, not clear. clear. I mean, the 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 one with the most economy in it is probably Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, because where they've, they've got shops that are yeah. non Federation. Yeah, but every other show happens mostly on the ship, and you don't need to buy anything on the ship. No, exactly. And even even when they're on shore leave, they don't really need to buy anything because the way I see it, it's just like the Federation takes care of everything. Yeah. So they've got a very strange... I mean, it's just a different way of thinking about it because if we think of... Um, like Cisco's dad is a chef. Mm-hmm. So he runs a restaurant. Yeah. But that's not a business per se, is it? Because you can just show up. He can just replicate... Well, I think no, probably he probably it, doesn't replicate. No, that's like, right. Because I mean, good restaurants don't replicate because yeah. you can actually taste it. Yeah, for the same the same reason that everybody's always complaining about Cindahal instead of the real stuff. Right, or uh, you know, it's <laughs> Chef Ramsay going. It's Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. yeah, and you can obviously tell it's frozen. It's, it's probably the so same. So like it's 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 the the uh, the idea that there's food like necessity and then there's luxury. So if you go to a restaurant with an actual chef with actual food not replicated food then it's more of probably more of a luxury probably more of a uh, which doesn't make it non-utopic i mean no if all your needs are taken care of then the rest mm-hmm. is all experiencing life doing yeah. things you would like to do absolutely and um, probably controls the populations i mean if no one needs to have a job then some jobs would not get done you know there's probably some of that in there yeah but i mean it's also like in 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 the with the star trek tech the undesirable jobs are probably taken care of by automation. Right. Like, I don't think there are garbage men in they probably, Star Trek universe. You can probably just um, throw the garbage. Well, I think that you throw the garbage in the replicator and yeah. de-atomize it and just yeah. make molecules that you'll need for later. So Everything is recycled yeah. at the molecular level. So there's no, like, nobody fixes potholes. Okay, here's the thing. Is it socialism? Is it like an extreme form of socialism? That you can attain once there's once you get post scarcity, where everyone benefits from everyone works for everyone else, and everybody you know the, the system just provides. Yeah. And you have a function. That's what we see. We see people with functions, especially in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And you you do your function, and your needs are taken care of. But because you do get to choose that function, yeah. is it instead of socialism? Is it individualism it's complicated and here's where thematically it brings up those two questions Mm -hmm. is it socialism because among starfleet's enemies we find the ferengi originally yeah the tng ferengi the super capitalist right so star trek takes the capitalists Mm -hmm. and makes fun of them turns Mm -hmm. them into villains does an extreme villains well in originally annoyances originally they were (laughs) yeah villainous yeah uh and then later they're just you know they, they can be comedy they can be heroes they can be yeah. anytime we delve into a society that's when you know yeah. that's when we we get to know them and find out there are whites and white and black hats and gray hats and yeah nothing is so simple but when originally presented it's an extreme form of capitalism where everything is up for grabs it's greed 
unbridled greed. Yeah. You know, they, they treat their women like property. They're, I mean, it's an extreme form of... Mm. Every race, except the human race in Star Trek, is an extreme form of something. Oh, and you could say humanity is too, because it is that extreme utopian ideal yeah. thing as compared <clears throat> to the others. Yeah. Uh, but the others are like warlike or... But or it, like for the Vulcans, it's right. extreme logic thought. An aspect of our culture just yeah. blown up. And the Ferengi, it's that. But you know, the Vulcans are our allies. Mm -hmm. The Bajorans are our allies. The Ferengi, are initially, as created, are not. Mm -hmm. So it's basically two cultures clashing. If one of them is super capitalism, what's the other one? And is the other yeah. one super socialism? And then it, it means that a show, if this is a fact, then it means that that show, born during the Cold War, is essentially a vehicle for <laughs> communism. Well, there's a difference between communism uh, and socialism. Sure, but, you know, I mean, yeah, no, I, for I, many Americans, it does not thing. seem yeah. to be. <laughs> um, they, they put a Russian on the show. They put a yeah. Russian in the crew. Yeah. See? Yeah. <laughs> they did. So, um, and when I say it's individualism, you know, which comes with its own dangers, which is... Yes, the fulfillment of self for mm -hmm. the betterment of others, but it can be selfish yeah. or it can be inward looking. And if it's that in the TNG era, who are the biggest villains of the TNG era? The Borg. Which is a collective. Yeah. Which in that case, so it's, it's... that's super communist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here, like the collective hive mind. Yeah. And when you get to Voyager, where we explore the Borg a lot more through Seven of Nine, it's just Janeway making speeches mm -hmm. about individualism, mm -hmm. about the how individualism heightens the, the human experience or whatever. Yeah. That's my question to you. Is this Federation utopia, the Federation future, is, is it, it socialism? Is it socialism or is it individualism? <clears throat> or if not either, what is it? I think it's individualism. It can't be socialism because socialism is sharing of resources. And since we are post-scarcity, resources, aren't, resources aren't a factor anymore. And I think that's also the, like what's happening with the Ferengi where... They they are not post scarcity. I think they are post scarcity, and they've just created. <laughs> they just thrive on making things scarce. Yeah. So the whole latinum thing. Yeah. I mean, can't you replicate latinum? You can't because there's a quantum signature or something. Yeah. And the latinum is just like it isn't the gold bar. It's the yeah, it's yeah, like it's little drops of quantum liquid, mm -hmm. which cannot be replicated. So they've so created. They're, they're, yeah. An, they're creating. An uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't replicate wives. Right. Which is why it's one right. of their, the things they barter with, yeah. you know, as ugly as that is. Yeah, <laughs> really ugly. But, like, that's what I mean. They're not in a poor, like, they're post-scarcity in, 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 like, material, but not in a post-scarcity society. They're still thinking in terms of finite resources. Yeah, well, they create... Finite resources. <laughs> resources that are finite, yeah. Yeah. Just to make a profit. Use their economic resources to attack planets where there is scarcity you know? yeah so yeah i, I don't know um, so not socialism it's, it's so it, well it's, if it is socialism it's a special kind of socialism that's unattainable today right okay. right it's not socialism as we know it it's not the bad socialism where i work hard for my stuff and you're going to take a part of it and i know it's hard to say that it's individualism based on we see a crew working together for yeah for and, all, well, for I all mean, of us it's kind of individualistic on a certain scale because they're all looking to get to, to work up the ladder. Like they're they 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 are they're all excited when they get a promotion, like a, a new rank. Except of course when they're like, oh, I'm gonna get my own ship and not work with my crew anymore. Uh, not sure about that. <laughs> 
Yeah. But like everybody everybody strives to move up in the ranks and like better themselves, right? And you can see that. Even uh the everybody's favorite person to hate, Wesley, you know, he goes off to 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 be a cadet and he's looking out for himself even though he's it's still the betterment out. of the yeah. self. And I think and the fact that he's going to join Starfleet is going also going to be good for Starfleet because he's brilliant in the show and what's good for starfleet is ultimately good for the federation because of the yeah furthering knowledge and blah blah yeah yeah and like you brought up cisco's dad who's a chef and i mean yeah okay that's that's kind of a selfish dream to want to especially in a post-scarcity world where you can replicate anything to say no i'm gonna do it the old-fashioned way and i'm gonna make a profession out of that okay yeah sure it's it's for himself. It's for the betterment of himself. He's not doing anything for society because that's not something that is needed. It's something that's wanted. Could be seen as capricious. Yeah. Uh, and but it does show a certain change between. I mean, obviously, we're exploring the world more and more, and mm-hmm. we never see Earth on the original Star Trek. No. Uh, except in the movies. I don't, I don't think we see it in TNG either. Uh, no, we do because we do. Uh, yeah. The, the vineyard. And yeah. The, yeah. 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 The, the Picard Vineyard. Yeah. When Picard is off duty. <laughs> and the Borg attack Earth. And yeah. you see Earth in the ba- at least in the background. Yeah. Um, but um, Cisco's restaurant mm-hmm. is something that might not have existed in TOS. Mm-hmm. Not because we'd never go there, but when we hear of Earth, we hear, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a virtual paradise. And um, mm-hmm. I guess we wonder why they've left it <laughs> to, to travel. Yeah. But the Space Hippies, which I continue to, to say is a good episode. Um <laughs> I like the sure. songs. It's, it's I like the songs. It's good. Yeah, the space. Well, I mean, underrated. <laughs> say that. Uh, the 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 space hippies have left Earth looking for Eden, mm-hmm. and they've left Earth because they call it a sterile place. Mm-hmm. So they've left a sterile world where everything is mechanized. So that whole idea of being post scarcity and possibly there are no real foods, real yeah. restaurants. They haven't quite gotten there yet where people have, have decided perhaps that if you want to live in a more natural way and still live on Earth, that's something that's worth pursuing as well. Ergo, restaurants yeah. with fresh food. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you nature, talked... Nature you, reserves, probably. You talked about... Uh, you, you mentioned Picard's Vineyard, right? That's been in their family for generations and generations, probably since before the automation of everything like hundreds of years right mm-hmm. and his brother picard's brother is still very much in that you know we're going to do things the old fashioned way i'm going to make wine the old fashioned way we're going to get we're going to cook food the old fashioned way that's right the the, the utopia provides mm-hmm. and if you want to grow your own stuff more power to you yeah they they, they respect that i imagine yeah. and that becomes like that wine yeah must therefore be something you could buy something you could find in a restaurant yeah so they've created an economy of things that are not free possibly probably or at least the system trades you for it yeah Mm, that's that's the stuff we don't quite yeah see that's the that's the stuff where the economy is Mm. kind of iffy Mm. there is value in that just Mm. like there's value in history and tradition like one city that uh, I visited recently that I deeply appreciated was uh, St. John's Newfoundland so Hi to all our, our, our <laughs> Newfoundland listeners, if any. One of all the things, three of them. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I liked about uh, Newfoundland in general is that they have a real connection to their history and mm-hmm. uh, heritage. And then you can see it in the city. 
Yeah. Here, I feel that very often we'll have like a uh, historical house or a building, and they'll just mow it down to make room for newer stuff. Yeah, like the castle uh, that's going to become condos. Yeah, stuff <laughs> like that. So, eh. and and I I mean I've worked in a museum. Yeah. So, and I know that like uh, there are a lot of people out there trying to fight to keep these buildings up and repaired and restored instead of demolished. Mm-hmm. But cities have other ideas, you know. I, I didn't feel that in St. John's, where there's a lot of historical buildings. They seem to take pride in them. They make it part of their tourism industry. Mm-hmm. There are plaques everywhere. And it's not just buildings and history. It's nature. And yeah. so inside the city are places that you would never find in another city. A Central Park kind of feel okay. to some areas uh, where suddenly you're... I mean, this must be a small village outside the town. No, it's in the center of town. It's because they respect their history. So in the same way, I think humans see value in feeling part of that continuum. Yeah. And that's the case of the Picards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jean-Luc took off. Yeah. But his family still, you know, there's still people in his family that felt that was important and resented him for it. Well, he took off. But, I mean, he still speaks French, which is in the TNG world, a dead language. And like he still he still respects his history. He still like yeah. He's a Renaissance the, man yeah, who reads yeah. Shakespeare, uh, plays learns, the flute, <laughs> learns to play an instrument. So that I think that's what the betterment of self is usually represented as. Yeah. People learn skills that normally I, I I don't know where they find the time aren't necessary. But but the arts are. You don't know where they find the time, really. I mean, well, I mean, people on shifts in on a spaceship. Yeah, but don't seem to have. All that much. Because we only see the parts where they're <laughs> dealing with the Romulans and the Borg. And... But what seems to be important <laughs> is is finding value in the arts. That Even though you're an engineer, mm-hmm. even though you're Miles O'Brien, you will still learn the cello and play, you know, yeah. actually play classical music for the rest of the crew. Uh, put on shows they you know they've got theater they, just mm-hmm. to keep their minds off but i think i think that's because they have a lot of free time we don't see their free time yeah okay travel is really really fast but even going at warp a traveling from one one end to the of the galaxy to the next is you'll still, get a, it's still yeah. gonna be like a week at yeah. least but I, I think i mean i think as far as the characters go it seems to show that whereas yeah we might just play video games or mm-hmm. you know what whatever they do find value in learning an instrument reading great literature composing creating but i find i think that's because their entertainment their video games the holodeck is so uh interactive that you can easily learn how to play as the, part of a program yeah yeah, yeah. You, you can you can get piano lessons from beethoven if you want well we're, we're <laughs> talking about culture so let's stay in that vein and really uh, tackle the second big topic yeah which i think is um part and parcel of the prime directive and we talked about secular humanism Mm -hmm. and those values in uh in that other episode but the whole idea of respect for all life and all cultures which is part of the federation ideal and uh, not interfering with other cultures even having a culture based on peace and diplomacy uh, especially in contrast to the warrior races that, that yeah. border our, um, our parts of space. Uh, but that whole Federation melting pot mm-hmm. slash mosaic, I guess maybe more like the Canadian mosaic, yeah. <laughs> where different cultures live by side by side and aren't asked to become a cohesive, just like a, a lump, like the Borg. I mean, yeah. That's why we contrast it to the Borg. 
that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So we're not only post-scarcity, we're in effect post-conflict, post-war. Yeah. Uh, or within the Federation. Within the Federation. And we still have Starfleet, which has, you know, they've got weapons on the ships. And across the history of the show, there are battles and wars. Yep. I mean, that's part of science fiction or space opera. Yeah. But let's talk about those space hippies, or let's talk about the Maquis. Yeah. We've name-dropped them. These are people who want to be kind of left alone and not have the Federation dictate any policy or mm-hmm. rules to their existence. And yet, so we have to respect them and then we don't really. And how much of that utopic uh, ideal works or doesn't? That, that's why I keep specifying within the Federation. Because within the Federation, it works. But as soon as you put the Federation with other entities out there, it's completely destroyed because like the Romulans don't really care about not interfering with the Federation. The Ferengi don't really care about our post-scarcity, no no trading economy. So they 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 want to impose their their ways on the Federation. And the Federation has this prime directive that stops them from, you know, imposing their ideals on the other. So I don't know, it's 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 a weird uh Live and let live situation where yeah. the others don't let you live. I think that's where, yeah, that's, I think that's where what's interesting. Obviously, we're not colonizing. That's, no, that's seen as wrong. So that's part of the non-interference. We're not colonizing. We're just hoping when people see how the Federation works, they want to be part of the Federation. Yeah, and there's no there's no pitch. There's no propaganda. Propaganda. It's just like, hey, if they ask, you're gonna <laughs> tell. But yeah, I, that's it. That's. I mean, yeah. there are overtures when you know first contact. Is established once they become warp capable. Yeah. You have first contact. I think there's a pitch there. There's, yeah. Or a preparation for eventually joining the Federations. There must be some machine. Yeah. Diplomatic machine. Obviously. Working there. I don't, I don't know. It's mm. it's. Uh... But I like it when they when they show us people who don't like that system that yeah. for whatever reason want to be left alone. Like the Maquis is a special case where they well, lived in a demilitarized like... zone. And the Cardassians want those people out mm-hmm. of what has become, due to a treaty, their planets. Mm-hmm. And they won't leave. And then the Federation wants to make them leave because it's a political problem. Because mm-hmm. of that clash between two powers. And that's where they become terrorists. And you know, yeah. they might become problematic for both sides. Yeah. That's probably one of the reasons I like Deep Space Nine so much. It doesn't take the post-scarcity utopia for granted. Mm-hmm. Very often, because we've got so much Ferengi content, yeah. that Maquis stuff. Even just the Bajorans aren't part of the Federation yet. They're just being prepared for yeah. it. It basically forces the viewer to ask questions about the worth of those ideas. Mm-hmm. And it forces the characters to basically defend their principles and perhaps even fail yeah. in doing so. It's, it puts you in a an awkward place where human foibles go against the utopian ideals and then in an actual in situations. So mm-hmm. it forces Starfleet personnel to go to war for a couple of seasons, basically. It forces them to coexist with other species, cultures that are not part of the Federation. Uh, it forces them to think about money. It forces and forces us to do that. Yeah. As well. Money and religion and you know all the stuff that's kind of excluded from the ship shows are, you know, a right core Right there in the middle yeah. of things, and you know, you've got your Starfleet personnel having to interact with all of that stuff that seems so simple in Next Gen mm-hmm. or even Voyager, mm-hmm. because it's not an issue. 
it's not an issue because they're constantly with Federation people. Yeah, exactly. So, and when you visit another planet, that's where the clash is. And I mean, Kirk is famous for disrupting utopias. Yes. <laughs> if that utopia is run by a computer, then I will demolish it. <laughs> <laughs> Computers don't make decisions for us. That's maybe the individualism yeah. speaking. So there is a certain kind of utopia that's fine for the Federation, but not any utopia will do. Also, I mean, you're talking about Kirk. I don't think... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I just don't understand how James T. Kirk became a captain in the Federation. (laughs) Went up the ranks. Uh, (laughs) He goes against so many of what the Federation stands for. I think we're talking about the early Federation. Yeah, it's it's perhaps different. You know, the next—that's why I say the next gen Federation is very much the Utopia. Yeah, and then and it wasn't yet there in TOS, and then it fell apart in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, under opposition and scrutiny, Um, Mm -hmm. because there's always been like we talk about respecting and tolerance, and which is Mm -hmm. like starting values. Doesn't mean there's no racism or xenophobia. We see it. They're always because they're also very Canadian values. <laughs> That's true. It, the first captain was yeah. Recurring captain was was a Canadian actor, yeah. but still, it's there is racism and xenophobia. Yeah, there is. There is. It's uh, we see it against uh, you know people in TOS. They're always like that ensign who hates Spock or doesn't like logic mm. or even Bones Spock has shades of yeah, racism in yeah. it. They, they call each other out on their species problems. So there is that. And we find it, you know, even uh, Kirk versus Klingons after the Klingons kill his son. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the TOS era and much less later. But it's, but still, st- it's there, still there. It's still there. Like even in, in the, the perfect utopia of TNG, there is still racial unease like every time somebody meets Worf for the first time mm-hmm. they're like ooh a Klingon right we're used to the <clears throat> the person we used to be at war with yeah even though for, in their case it's like decades before there's yeah. still no other uh, Klingons in Starfleet yeah I think the the final frontier I was thinking about it and the, the final frontier in terms of human rights and you know that kind of the tolerance and mm-hmm. acceptance of the other as a uh, valuable person is a mechanical rights. Because TNG does a lot of that. There's like yeah. there's one episode where there's this little the courtroom where they're well, determining yeah. the, uh, the, the, the is is data is data data alive? Yeah, is data sentient? Yeah, and that's that's an amazing episode. Yeah, uh, they've also got a terrible one with little uh, critters, yes, little robots yes, going into the, the pipes. <clears throat> so that that one, that's not so good. But but it's, <laughs> but it's still, essentially the same question. Right. And they would use it again on Voyager with. Uh, the doctor, the holographic doctor mm-hmm. and holographic rights. And what if yeah. you do, what if a computer develops sentience? And I think that's a fear for them because they've got a computer. You're leaning on computers quite a lot. Yeah. And what if the enterprise <clears throat> computer, for example, became sentient? Yeah. Do we have to give it equal rights? Was it a slave all along? I mean, those are important questions that they ask in that data episode, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a case of conscience, which is still one of the high watermarks of that yeah. show. There's still work to do. And I think that's basically something we came away with in the, the show about the philosophy of Star Trek, which I think is true here as well, is that you have to work at it. Yeah. It is not a utopia as set up in utopian novels, which are usually very dystopic. Yeah. Maybe 1984, or Brave New World or whatever. When you see a utopia, it's meant to be a satire of 
more or less, you know, other re regimes or yeah. things that are actually happening. And then you get to examine them and say, well, that utopia is actually mm -hmm. very dark indeed. And like we said, it falls apart on the individual level where like every individual isn't perfect. Even if our society strives to be perfect, the individual isn't. And he's going to make mistakes and he's going to have fits of anger and punch someone and like that's gonna happen even in uh in star trek and and the idea is that you want to better yourself when they say if the utopia was perfect there'd be no conflict mm -hmm. uh you know it'd be too easy yeah and i think what the thing that makes it hard is that the utopia is not set they've got a political obviously they've got some sort of government system that mm. that is utopian Or works on utopian... Strives towards at utopia. Least. But each character that we watch has to struggle with that. Is forced to make decisions that will either go against the utopian ideal mm -hmm. uh, or or with it. And how do you make those decisions when they're they're difficult? Because the whole point of the Prime Directive is to give the characters moral yeah. dilemmas. Because well, it's TV and people gotta have to talk. Yeah. Well, like it's the, cheaper the... to make people talk than to show big battles. You know? Yeah. Well, like that episode where um, Wesley is uh, sentenced to death on uh, a planet for trampling flowers. Right. Because every crime on that planet has Car a death Carries sentence. the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was their way of having a utopia. And that's... Our utopia says you have to respect their laws. Mm -hmm. And yet, this is wrong. Yeah. But to them... Your interference is wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, you know, it's it's those kinds it's of. That, that, it's not a great episode, but <laughs> it's not a great episode. No, but the the idea that clash of utopias is interesting. That's where the conflict is. Even if mm -hmm. there were, I think people have criticized, and I think perhaps correctly, uh, something like Deep Space Nine because it went to war and spaceship battles, and it, it Star Wars things up so to speak yeah uh you know the defiant kind of looks like the millennium falcon it's basically <laughs> what's happening there. yeah and i agree i mean it's fine in the sense that it wasn't necessary you could tell the conflict is within ourselves mm -hmm. and see, as long as the characters are humans or human-ish uh if they struggle with human problems human conscience uh you know moral dilemmas That is interesting television. Yeah. And I think that's where the real conflict is. Even though they're all a happy family, theoretically, yeah. the system is perfect. But we, human beings, are not. And that's not going to change in 400 years. Yeah. Probably never. 300, whatever like, it is. Yeah. And it's never going to change. Like, hu perfect beings are boring. The Borg are perfect beings. We see them as really other. Mm -hmm. And yet, Star Trek has rehabilitated a number of them, and you can... I mean, that's the message of that utopia, is that it is infectious. Mm -hmm. I think if this utopia is to work in the Star Trek universe, it's that it, it infects yeah. others. It assimilates. <laughs> <laughs> it assimilates uh, other cultures. So, you know, so eventually, the same way we had a Russian aboard a what looked like mostly an American ship, yeah. we had a Klingon on board... <clears throat> We've had people that we thought of as enemies mm -hmm. have become parts of the of crews and parts of the cast or heroic cast. So on Deep Space Nine, you've got Ferengi as part yeah. of the cast. You've got Cardassians as part of the cast. People we thought of as enemies can become friends. And I think Deep Space Nine does a lot of that. Yeah. Sending us back and Blowing forth. Blowing the lines. Yeah. Where our allies, our former enemies are now our allies. And mm -hmm. we discover 
some good in so across these shows we discover some good in the Romulans and in, even in the Borg. Well, yeah, like, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't think any of the the shows show those societies as being completely evil. They never they never say that the Ferengi are absolutely the bad guys. They never say that the the Borg are absolutely evil and the bad guys. The idea that they're the enemy is when they are trying to impede on the rights of others. Wait, the when one... they go against the prime directive. Basically, what it's it's <clears throat> always a clash of cultures and points of view. Mm-hmm. So to a human being, a Klingon point of view is possibly anus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh and like we see we see a lot of that in the uh the episode where um where Riker is like on board a klingon ship right where his humanity is pit against klingon values right. and it's interesting to see that's a great uh, example because it shows how integration works mm-hmm. in the federation's um favor so that the the klingons are themselves mm-hmm. and of course, they're at home. I mean, it's their yeah, own ship. It's their ship, and it's their. Crew. But it's basically their culture. And if you look at someone like Worf, he's very much someone of his culture, even though he's living and has been raised in a different culture. Yeah. So aliens, so to speak, they, they've got their way of life, and they do not integrate well into mm-hmm. uh, the cultures of others, and they don't make that that extra step. Whereas the Federation, which must include Worf in in a certain sense, mm-hmm. uh, the Federation tries to respect all cultures and thus is more inclusive and then more willing to, to, to take that step to compromise. Yeah. So Riker on a Klingon ship is... As, acts Klingon. Is, acts like a Klingon and gets the respect in the Klingon way, gets their respect. Mm-hmm. While the exchange person on the on the Federation <laughs> side refuses all yeah. amenities, you know, refuses to basically be Federation for, that, a Federation. for, that, yeah, for that while. And you also you often find that clash, and I think mm-hmm. I think it's true of many open-minded people. I mm-hmm. mean, if we're just talking about today, there are many open-minded people who will go abroad and live as other people yeah. do, and you know, share in the tradition. But then you'll also have people who come over, exchange students, or whatever it is, uh, who uh, isolate themselves and yeah. do not feel feel comfortable in the Western culture. Or, you and, know, I people... worked at a university for twelve years, and I saw a lot of that. People who travel and stay in their hotel room, like who isolate themselves from the culture, or who only stay with people of their people own of their country, own country or, or, yeah. you know, you see that on either side. So yeah. it's about being open. I think the Federation is open-minded, mm-hmm. which I think is the main. It's perhaps the easiest way to to say it yeah. is that the Federation has developed an open-mindedness, or Starfleet has, anyway. Yeah, like it accepts other cultures, and having different cultures in the Federation makes its strength. Because if if Worf hadn't been an absolute Klingon and hadn't had all his Klingon ways, then Riker wouldn't have been in contact with that and would have failed miserably on a Klingon ship, right? And the episode where um, uh, Deanna Troy is abducted and transformed into uh, a, Romulan. a Romulan, if if the Federation didn't know about Romulan culture, if she didn't accept to for a couple of days be a Romulan, then she would have died. And I think that's part of the utopia that's perhaps more within our grasp. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> uh, post-scarcity, you know, transporters and uh, replicators. and That's science fiction. That Yes, that's um, a lot of that will probably never come to be. 
and certainly not during our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe none of this during our lifetimes, but um, that's why it's set so far. Yeah. <laughs> but the human element, the idea that part of this the utopia, society element, yeah, the, the, there's part of this utopia that is based on human values or values that we can all mm-hmm. perhaps agree to share, which is the case, is their case, that open-mindedness to the other and thus to learning and thus to uh, yeah. questioning and thus to perhaps even that perhaps even that's the key to becoming renaissance men and women like the starfleet officers we perhaps idolize you know just because you got a scientific background doesn't mean you can't love literature and music just mm-hmm. because or, or the reverse so that's what we see a lot of as far as the betterment of themselves is that a man like picard could easily have said uh, well you know i'm at the top of my game i'm the captain of a ship i've got many many duties i don't i don't sleep long nights music or reading or whatever it is uh we seem an art class at one yeah. point that is not uh, nobody got time for that we don't have time for that i'm above all that yeah and none of them say that all of them have a deep interest and curiosity in everything mm-hmm. whether that's uh, cultural uh, anthropological or scientific in, in yeah. this, uh, the hard sciences so you know even someone like picard has a scientific background as well even though he's obviously more into the humanities yeah well, isn't his scientific background like in archaeology, archaeology and you know? But he almost so, went into uh, stellar cartography yeah, and. But you know. stellar cartography is <laughs> still that's like geography, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a humanity. Yeah, still like a social science. <laughs> yeah, so they've all got that. You know, they, obviously they've got their own wheelhouse and yeah. that makes them useful and complementary to one another. But I think that open-mindedness also extends to that. I think it extends to the those interests that perhaps we'd go, eh. Like, yeah. like people like, say they don't like musicals and never seen one. Yeah. Uh, just, or like... So it's a silly example, but... People who say they don't like the theater and never been to the theater. They don't oh, think theater's they, boring. Yeah, they don't or, think they'd you know, like it. They have an yeah. idea of what it is. And perhaps you've seen a play uh, when you were uh, in school and didn't think it was very interesting. And, and it probably uh, wasn't. It probably wasn't. <laughs> You know, but you can't judge the one play, all plays, on based on the one play yeah. when you were not perhaps receptive. Yeah, when you would rather skip a class yeah. and go. So you have to be open-minded about even your own life, I think. And mm. that's probably the root of that. There's a technological root to the utopia. It's not possible without the gadgets. But I feel like... But there's that element that isn't i feel like the gadgets aren't possible without the social utopia okay i feel like none of this is even conceivable like faster than light travel all, all this stuff is not even conceivable until humanity gets his shit together and works together towards a common goal and i think that's part of what the the star trek ideal is as long as we are having petty conflicts on earth and fighting each other over resources as long as we're we're doing that well we're not funding science scientists and 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 advancement are kind of left to the side and we're not pursuing and that's where there is a lack of open-mindedness from Mm -hmm. politicians or there's no political will because so many people perhaps well, because, are closed-minded. Because politics are about beating your opponent, not again. Like it's 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 this confrontational ideal that we're fighting each other instead of working together. That's what I that's what I feel is is the the for me that's what Star Trek is about. It's okay. about working together 
So if we get back to the, so- the socialist utopia. individualism, yeah. this is what I'm coining it now. Yeah. The selfishness is taken out of it, I think, of the idea of individualism. I think it's the about... The greed of it. It's not the selfishness that's taken out. It's the greed. You're not doing it for for money. You're not doing it for resources. You're not... You're just doing I, it... I think it may be about figuring out that the more you're worth, the more you bring to others. Yeah. But I like the way you, you put it, that basically to unlock even the technological reality of Star Trek, there needs to be that social... Yeah, there needs uh, to be element. a change in, in the way we think about society. If we if we even want to think about maybe perhaps someday having something that kind of looks like Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get to that, uh, listeners. Well, Fred, thank you for having this uh, conversation with me. I think... Uh, Thank you for was, having me. I think it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we might have you again someday. Maybe. For something. Maybe. If I have an opinion on something else, I guess. <laughs> if ever you have an opinion on something, <laughs> let us know. Uh, obviously, you might have opinions at home. So, um, you know, the usual. Go on fireandwaterpodcast.com and leave us a comment. And we'll uh, read them on the show. If not there, then the Fire and Water has a Facebook page. And if not there, well, uh, we yeah. love. I love Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter. Hashtag FW Podcasts for ease of finding. But yet, you know, you can just uh, postcards work too. But they're kind of. I'm not going to give my address <laughs> anyway for postcards. Although, if you do want to send one, uh, just you know, find me on Facebook and ask me for my address. <laughs> uh, some people are old school. Yeah. Luddites. Space hippies. <laughs> I'll take a small break. And right. when I come back, I'm doing uh, subspace transmissions. Ooh, sounds fun. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! (laughs) The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series... We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Incoming subspace transmissions. In Star Trek news, we already covered the release of Discovery and the Orville's new trailers uh, in our last episode, but even as I was editing that episode, reports were coming in that some parties were moaning about Discovery having too much diversity. Uh, What with the trailer heavily featuring two women of color in command positions, etc. 
Well, sorry, morons, but if that's your takeaway, you don't know what Star Trek is all about, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But when Star Trek Discovery premieres later this year, there will be more episodes than originally anticipated. CBS recently announced that it has uh, bumped the original 13-episode order up to 15, and that it would launch a post-show called Talking Trek, along with the new series. And McFarlane Toys has announced they are creating a Star Trek Discovery toy line set to debut in spring of 2018. In addition to the Discovery toys, McFarlane will release figures spanning the entire Star Trek franchise. The first toys released will be articulated 7-inch Captain Kirk and Picard figures, complete with window box collector packaging and iconic accessories like phasers and communicators. That's probably going to get boring real fast. Discovery merchandise will then soon follow. Bound to be more detailed than toys that came before, these will retail for $20 a piece. Now for your feedback, we've got two episodes to cover. Um, first off, episode 9, which was uh, Where No Fan Has Gone Before, the Futurama episode. Uh, Chris Franklin says this is tied with Galaxy Quest as the best unofficial bit of Trek media, and both are better than many of the episodes and some of the films. You guys all hit the best bits, he says, other than Shatner making out with Leela, of course, so I'll leave those be. I guess my love for my childhood hero, Captain Kirk, forces me to defend the Shat a bit, even if I know I probably shouldn't. One, Shat was often in really good shape for the 60s during TOS, but sometimes not. As the seasons progressed and schedules became hectic, he'd eat and exercise poorly and pack on some pounds, hence his belly shirt and rumors of a girdle. Apparently Roddenberry had a Fat Kirk film reel put together, to use as motivation if talks uh, with the captain about losing weight didn't go well. All of this comes from Mark Cushman's excellent These Are the Voyages series of books that I might re that I highly recommend to every Trek fan. You know, Chris, it doesn't sound like you're defending Shatner here. Uh, he also says, Oh, and I'm glad you guys discussed the Technobabble solution a la TNG. My biggest gripe about the series is every problem is cleverly solved by modulating one ship system or another, usually the deflector shield, and if you played a marathon drinking game based on that, you'd die of alcohol poisoning by season 3. Our good friend Ryan Daly says great episodes of Squid and Fern, where no fan has gone before is one of my favorite Futurama episodes and my favorite bit of Star Trek lore, tangential media. Rob Kelly says, so glad you covered this. It's hands down my favorite episode of Futurama. It's so sharp and biting, yet affectionate. To say nothing of the fact that it was the last time the whole crew, or as close as we could get, of the original series were together. David Gutierrez says, you know, I've never seen this episode. In fact, I've never seen this show. But you forced my hand to rectify this. And Nathaniel Wayne says, this is the episode of Futurama that I've probably seen the most. I do love the show, but oftentimes it only holds up to one or two revisits once you, you're over how clever many of the episodes are, which is pretty damn clever, let, let me be clear. This one, though, is always funny, and I love that they actually got Jonathan Frakes in to read one single self-deprecating line. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to start my own podcast with Blackjack and Hookers. Nathaniel, of course, already has his own podcasts, Punch Like a Girl and 90s Comics Retrial. Now for some comments on episode, um, well, let's call it 9.5, about the uh, Discovery and Orville trailers. Ryan Daly chimes in, I don't know if this series will hook me yet, because I still don't know enough about these characters, and I have a loyalty to Kirk and his crew, be it the classic iterations or the modern Kelvin versions. The Orville, on the other hand, meh. I'm not a huge fan of McFarlane's work, I don't like Family Guy, but I do like McFarlane as an award show host and variety show guy. 
His talent is incredible, but I wasn't really feeling the trailer. The only thing I really like is Adrienne Pelecki, uh, one of my celebrity crushes, but she wasn't enough to make me stick with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Chris Franklin says, fun discussion, guys, but I'm not impressed with what I see of Discovery so far. I don't think it's too nerdy to expect this to have some look and feel of TOS. The creators said it in that time frame, so they should expect backlash when the tech looks more advanced than what we last saw in Nemesis. Plus, it's Star Trek. You have to appease the fan base first and hope you pull in the general audience with them. Trials and Tribulations prove you can go back to TOS, uh, the TOS look, and make it interesting like a retro future Mad Men. Heck, the Kelvin timeline fits in better. About the whole CBS access thing, the idea that you have to pay for another service to watch is also off-putting. I know that's no fault of the creators, but it's still CBS Paramount messing with the brand. As for the Orville, despite looking like a less interesting Galaxy Quest, the cast is pretty impressive. How's Victor Garber going to do this and Legends of Tomorrow? Just a recurring guest spot? Yeah, I believe that's it. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but the snot alien is voiced by uh, Norm MacDonald. So that's someone. He goes on to say, I've thought this uh, before, but if you could rein him in enough to keep things clean and put him on a workout regimen, Seth MacFarlane would make a pitch-perfect Captain Marvel Shazam! I now await the throng of vitriol coming my way for that statement. I think he has the delivery, but not much else. Rob uh, says, Discovery looks interesting enough for me to sample, but since CBS is making it impossible to access, I guess I'll have to live without it. I would not watch Orville for any amount of money. Toilet seat jokes? This is some edgy material. I can't wait until I hear the ship's captain's take on airline food, or maybe his Jack Nicholson impression. David Ace, who was on that, that show in the first place, uh, answers Rob. It says, it's not impossible to access. It's just on another streaming service for something like $5 a month. That's about only a buck and change for a show. And then we have DC Dave who says, I'm fresh off watching the Orville trailer just five minutes ago. I didn't realize the trailer existed until just now. After stumbling across this very special episode of Gimme That Star Trek, I'd only heard that the show existed just about a week ago. I laughed during the trailer a lot. I thought it was pretty funny. I'm guessing we're just seeing scenes from the pilot episode. If Seth can borrow a bit from Trek tropes and keep it fresh and funny and topical, then I think it can do good. Of course, this is a sci-fi show on Fox, so it may not happen. I guess we'll see. And as for Star Trek Discovery, I'm still meh about it. Seeing something on film finally was good. I'm concerned about the method of delivery, not for myself, but for others and this program. Having it behind a paywall just doesn't seem like a way to get more than the fan base paying up. I'm willing to pony up the money because I'm on the verge of cutting the cord, satellite dish, and moving to digital content only. There are a couple of other CBS shows, Survivor, Amazing Race, that my wife loves, and cutting the cord, and giving your access to those shows, and I guess Star Trek Discovery as well, works fine for us, but I know I'm in the minority here. Yeah, that might be a problem. I'm sure a lot of people will torrent it. Uh, I Apparently, it's going to be on services like Netflix in other countries, so I'm not too worried about getting it. Uh, but we are seeing that whole streaming bubble uh, happening where if everybody starts their own service and then you have to pay as much as you would for cable to get each service so you can get just one show or uh, I think people will just will probably skip a lot of those shows just because just because it's a chore to get to. Will this tank Star Trek Discovery? Well, we'll see. Finally, some Facebook likes and shares from Abadaba, Abel Padilla, Chris Franklin, David S. Gutierrez, David Foster, D. Bash, Gautam Shoren of Pulp to Pixels Podcasts, Gene Hendricks, George Kane, Jared West, Jason Pope, John Trumbull, Max Romero, Mike Gillis, Mike Peacock, Rob Kelly, who says make it so, Ryan Daly, Sam Lowe, Shag Matthews, who apparently we made more excited for Discovery than the 
than the trailer did uh, by itself. Sean Brock, Terence Castonguay, Zoom Yukonori. On Twitter, retweets and favorites from Bad Billy Batson, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, David S. Gutierrez, David Byer Jr., Earth to Chris, Eli, Film and Water Podcast, Greg A., Justice First Dawn, Lau White, Longbox Crusades, Marcus Sirois, Pod Dylan, Rolled Spine Podcast, Superman Movie Min, The Slushine Round, Treasury Comics, Trickonomics, Trickbot, We Welcome Our Robot Overlords, Willie Yarbrough, and Yvonne Lewis. And as usual, I thank you very much for including us in your retweets and shares. That's how people find the show. As usual, also let me remind you that you can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com and have them read on the show on the Fire and Water Facebook page or on Twitter with the hashtag FWPodcasts. Until our paths cross again, this is Siskoid reminding you to go, but when you go, go boldly. <laughs>